Oh, oh, are we started already? Oh, gosh, I guess I lost track of time. I'm just enjoying a nice big glass of nice thick eggnog through this nice little straw I've got here. Mmm, tastes like the holidays. It's time for the breakdown. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another one of our live broadcasts of the breakdown. We're gonna have some fun, a little bit fun tonight, but we're also gonna get a little bit, uh, a little bit more serious towards the end. We're gonna do both. We're gonna balance it. It's the silly season. It's okay to be a little bit silly. To start with, the big story maybe of the week is the fact that we are now looking at having Bill One in Canada. Bill One, also known as the Sovereignty Act. Bill one in Canada and Alberta. <laughs> I mean, but it does have some some pretty serious implications on the national stage as well. So there's there's lots going on uh, in regards to Bill one, and we wanted to take a second to just sort of run through the whole Bill one process because it's been uh, it's it's been a bit of an adventure. It's been a bit of fun. Bill one has. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about Bill one um, to start with. It's officially a thing passed. Late Thursday night, early Friday morning, depending on how you decide to, to say it. And there were some powerful comments that were made in the legislature about Bill 1 and why it was so important. Perhaps most, uh, there's a whole eight minute segment we could play for you, but it really, I, 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 I feel like you get the, the overall flavor of the thing uh, just in the first couple of seconds. Like Ottawa is a national government as a, the way our country works is that we are a federation of sovereign independent jurisdictions. They are one in, of those signatories to the Constitution. Nope, that's not how any of that works. And that's one of the reasons why we have national elections and we send people across the country to go to Ottawa to represent and debate national issues. Now, there are certainly areas that are the jurisdictions of the province, but that occurs because the federal government said, hey, these are the areas that you're going to have. It's really important to remember that when we're talking about the history of Alberta as a province, it's not older than Canada by a long stretch. And as Indigenous and First Nations people have been really trying to point out to this provincial government and Daniel Smith in particular, the treaties that they signed that literally cover all of Alberta were signed with the Crown through the national federal government. And that is who they consider those treaties to be in partnership with. That's who they're going to work with. We saw not only all treaty nations from Alberta get together and say exactly that, but we also saw the national body. Oops, I said national. We saw the national body uh, come out and say, hey, this Sovereignty Act thing, this isn't going to fly. You can't just you can't just do that. You can't just unilaterally say this is the things that we're going to have control over and Na, 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 na. Now, working through the week, there's a couple of things that we want to talk about right out of the gate. So first of all, who voted to make sure that the Sovereignty Act got through third reading? Well, there were a few people that voted. Uh, there were 27 in total that voted for. But what's really interesting about the 27 that, that voted for 
is that of the shifts that were assigned for the legislature that night, only two of the UCP leadership candidates voted for it, which would be Danielle Smith and Todd Lowen. All of the other UCP leadership candidates, some of whom gave full-throated support to the bill before the amendments, um, uh, they, uh, they didn't vote in the final reading, which is, which is a little bit, little bit interesting, a little bit telling. Um, and from there we saw, so let's just talk about those amendments actually for a quick sec. So the two big amendments that were introduced had to do with, uh, defining specific terms that were going to exist within the bill. One of them was, it made it clear that any legislative changes had to be debated inside of the legislature. That was not a power that cabinet members could, uh, unilaterally wield, despite the fact that the bill and the support uh, documentation that was provided to the public and to the media very clearly said, well, yeah, they can change laws if they want to. That's not the case anymore. That's been changed. So they can't just change laws because it's Tuesday and they want to. The other piece is that it came up with a clear ish definition of harm. And that's good too, because harm is a very subjective term. You can, depending on who you talk to, harm is going to mean different things. Um, so having those two pieces is really important, but one of the biggest concerns from legal and constitutional scholars regarding Daniel Smith's Sovereignty Act has to do with the fact that it still allows, apparently, MLAs to make the, the debate and the determination about whether or not something that Ottawa is doing is constitutional. And that's a really big problem because that is the domain of the courts. Again, we said this in last week's episode. We said it on Wednesday. The bottom line is MLAs are just elected that's it that's the qualifications did you get enough votes yep you're in that's really all it is there's no requirements for mlas to have any kind of legal background there's no requirements for mlas or ministers to have any knowledge of how the legal system works how the constitution applies and what ways it applies all of that sort of thing there's no requirement for that and so to say that the legislature can have a debate to determine whether or not something is constitutional is really, really quite problematic because they don't have the skill set for it. And one of the concerns that's been raised is it, is it in fact creates shadow courts, which are a whole separate court system where people are going to be making determinations as to whether or not something is constitutional when they don't have the authority or the skill set to do so. But there's some people who had some interesting opinions about the Sovereignty Act. One of them is the architect of the Sovereignty Act. So we're talking about Barry Cooper. He's made the argument. Uh, he made the argument on the current after the Sovereignty Act passed in its current form, where he said, you know what? Uh, this is a good step because if Canada doesn't do what we want it to, we're going to take our ball and go home. We're going to we're going to be separatist. We're, if that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. Now, it's important to remember that this is one of the three people that wrote the Free Alberta Strategy that came up with the idea for the Sovereignty Act. And some of the other ones are part of the government now, because one of the other authors of that was Rob Anderson, and he's Daniel Smith's right-hand man and chief Twitter troll. His behavior this week has been any indication. Um, Rob Anderson was one of the architects of the Sovereignty Act as well. So not only are we talking about somebody who had a big influence on the Sovereignty Act, but somebody who worked with somebody who's in Smith's government saying, hey, you know what, if we need to, if we need to separate, it's what we got to do. And... 
advanced the I'm going to go with tired argument. Hey, you know what? If Alberta separated, it would be way easier to build pipelines because there's like rules and stuff. This has got to be one of the most tiring and boring and exhausting arguments when it comes to separatism. Because one of the things that people like to invoke when they're talking about separatism is a UN uh, rule. And basically, it's a it's a, a UN law that says, hey, landlocked states, they have to be able to have access to the, the coast. It's only fair. So if you're in a, a country that has no access to the coast, that's not cool. You should have access to the coast. And this is something that a lot of separatists like to trot out and say, ah, oh, but there's this UN regulation that says, so let's just take a quick sec to take a quick look at that regulation. It's article 124 and 125. And it details, it defines what a landlocked state is. It defines what a transit state is. Uh, it defines traffic in transit. And perhaps most importantly, it defines means of transport and how pipelines specifically relate because means of transport are what you think. Means of transport means railway rolling stock. So oil by rail, conceivably. Sea, lake and river craft and road vehicles. So you could drive your oil to the coast if local conditions require it. Porters and pack animals. That's it. That's the ballgame. That's what is allowed under the UN rule for people to say, hey, you know, we're landlocked. We need to be able to get our, our, our stuff to, to market. And in fact, if you take a look at specifically what it says about pipelines, it says very clearly landlocked states and transit states may by agreement between them. So this isn't uh, I'm a landlocked state. You have to give me my, my pipeline on all of the terms that I want because that's the rules. No, no. By agreement between them. Include as means of transport pipelines and gas lines and means of transport other than those included in paragraph one. So here's the, the fundamental problem with the, the UN article that everybody likes to talk about saying, oh, but landlocked states, it would be so much easier. It doesn't include pipelines. In order to get pipelines, you have to agree with the state that that pipeline would go through. Now, in this case, if Alberta was to separate, that would include not only the country of Canada, who might have a little bit of a reason to be moderately annoyed that Alberta decided to go its separate way, but it would also include the province of BC. And there's absolutely nothing preventing BC from saying something like, sure, you want a pipeline? Hey, you know what? You want to keep your existing pipelines? That's cool. We're just going to take 75% of the profit. You're okay with that, right? That's the terms of our agreement. That's the reality. There are absolutely no guarantees in any UN rules that, that say anything to do with you're guaranteed to get a pipeline under the terms that you want it and the, the other state just has to suck it up. It's not how it works. And if you have any further questions about that, I'd encourage you to go way back and listen to the episode that we did with constitutional lawyer David Kahn because we walked through all of this with him and he very clearly spelled it all out. That's not how any of this works. Now, moving on from there, but staying with the Sovereignty Act, one of the other things that happened this week is uh, Al Rachel Notley, I went through three different premier's names before I got to Rachel Notley there. I apologize for that. Rachel Notley said, hey, you know what? You're not a lawyer, Danielle Smith. Why don't you refer? Why don't you refer this act that many people have concerns with, that many people are saying is unconstitutional? Why don't you refer this act to the courts and see if you can get a ruling from them on it? And what Danielle Smith said was, 
All it simply does is restates that Alberta's constitutional authority should be respected. The constitutionality is not in question. Except, yeah, it literally is. Because the leader of the opposition is saying, hey, I'm not sure if this is constitutional. Would you mind kicking it to the experts you know the courts? That's literally the definition of the constitutionality being in question. But Daniel Smith said, no, 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 it's 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 fine. We don't we don't have any questions We're we're confident that the bill is 100 percent rock solid. That's why we had to make two major, major amendments to it that effectively gutted it from what she promised because she was super confident in it. But as we went through the week, things got um more complicated, let's say, because Daniel Smith yesterday did her Your Province, Your Premier uh, radio show. And there was no shortage of things to unpack on that radio show. But there's one clip in particular that uh, we want to start off with. This differ from the conventional path. Well, I think what happens in the conventional path is that we sit back and we wait for Ottawa to pass offensive legislation and then we challenge it in the court. What this does is that when we start hearing that the federal government is planning on passing policy that violates our rights, we're going to debate it in the legislature. So the federal government is using environmental legislation to violate our provincial rights. And we've just said, whoa, stop doing that. We put up a shield and let's talk about how we can get to the targets in a way that doesn't harm our economy. Right. And so by debating it in the legislature before any of the federal mandates come down, it's really a warning to Ottawa that, hey, if you persist in this action, you will be subject to a a, a fight in in, in the courts, basically. 100%. So... (laughs) Again, we have a whole lot to to unpack there. But that's Danielle Smith saying a bunch of different things. The biggest thing that I want to take away is is the comment that you made at the end of the clip. 100%. Any action will go through the courts. So we've gone from Danielle Smith saying that she's going to use the Sovereignty Act to unilaterally make changes to fight for Alberta. And now she's saying, well, we'll do the same things that we've always done. We're just going to talk about possibilities first. And this is where the first part of the clip gets to be really important, because what Daniel Smith said in that clip is that if (laughs) the legislature hears rumors, in effect, about what the federal government might do before there's any legislation passed, before there's any legislation introduced, before that legislation then has to go through the Senate to get approval. And Lord knows nine times out of 10, when legislation goes to the Senate, there's all kinds of revisions that happen. There's a whole back and forth process that goes on before any of that has happened as soon as we hear there's an idea of a thing that might be talked about. They're going to debate the rumors of that idea in the legislature and then send an angry email, I guess. Like, it's absolutely bizarre. Daniel Smith has taken the Sovereignty Act from the the ferocious bill where we're going to pick and choose what we're going to do and how we're going to enforce it, and we're going to change laws to... Well, we're going to talk about it before they do anything and before we know what they're going to do, because we don't like when people talk about us. In effect, that's what it is. But the radio show got weirder. 
me tell you how it could have been used in the past. So how many people love the fact that they are now having to use paper straws? I can tell you because I have a restaurant and when you're trying to give a kid a root beer float, you have to plan to give them four paper straws because they get so destroyed. Wouldn't it have been better in advance for us to say, hold on a second, we can recycle plastics our own way, a different way, without, without identifying things that just don't make sense and get people talking about it in advance and then be able to develop a policy about around recycling that makes sense. Instead, we sat back, we waited for the federal government to pass policy. They identified six single uses of plastic and, uh, and, and some of them are idiotic. And now we're fighting it in court to get those, those, uh, those, to be able to get that power back. Wouldn't it have been better if we hadn't allowed them to take the power away from us in the first place? That I think it would have. And that's, those are the things that we're looking for. Yeah. I just, I could barely without laughing. I'm, I'm tempted to have another, another little sip of my eggnog here. Um, uh, if we needed the sovereignty act because Danielle Smith doesn't like paper straws, I mean, a, for somebody who's supposed to be representing the entire province of Alberta, for somebody who's supposed to be representing all people, it's pretty stunning the the one of the examples that Daniel Smith rolled out on her radio show was but the paper straws they make milkshakes really hard guys it's worth noting there's all kinds of different alternatives to to paper straws that are out there that exist um as has been pointed out by many many people on social media but it's again it's a you know why are we talking about straws to provoke a constitutional challenge that's i mean daniel smith claims to be a libertarian and yet she's bringing her own straw man arguments in. Uh, I want to say huge props to everybody on the Twitter machines uh, who have been killing the straw puns because it's been absolutely beautiful to watch. But this is where we are in Alberta right now. We have a premier who goes on provincial radio and she says, but think of the straws. Now, the one silver lining to this entire uh, straw debacle has been that multiple opposition parties or well the one opposition party and a couple of other parties who still exist one of whom got a new official leader this week congratulations to the liberals and john um they've all said boy if we get in first thing we're going to do is 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 scrap that embarrassing disaster rachel Notley was quite clear that uh if if she forms government which the odds are looking you know favorable uh if she forms government in may then uh, they're absolutely going to rip up the sovereignty act kick it to the curb and daniel smith will be left plastic strawless let's all pour one out for that Moving on, though, uh, there's more, even more to talk about. One of the big announcements that came at uh, a press conference, maybe a lectern assault. I'm not calling it a podium again. Nuh-uh. Not making that mistake four times. It was a lectern. Daniel Smith held a press conference where she talked about how she was going to be getting 5 million bottles of Tylenol, children's Tylenol and children's ibuprofen uh, from a company in Turkey. And that was going to solve all of our problems because there's a bit of a shortage of children's symptom, medi- uh, symptom relief medication. 
So she was going to go to Turkey. She was going to go to this company. We're going to talk more about this after I finish the rundown because we've got somebody who's going to be joining us to shed a little bit more light and perspective on just how complicated that whole situation is. But she said, you know what? We're going we're, we're gonna to go buy these drugs. There's some problems, though. So first off, as many healthcare workers have pointed out, symptom relief medication is symptom relief. It doesn't address the underlying causes of the problems. And in this case, what we're talking about is a variety of respiratory viruses that are ripping through the pediatric population or the kids population in Alberta. Symptom relief drugs make kids more comfortable. They get rid of fever. They get rid of some pain or they at least knock it down while those kids are dealing with the illness. But it doesn't change the fact that these respiratory viruses are ripping through the kids population. And it's having some real impacts, not only on kids, but also on families and parents because they're getting sick. They're staying home from work. And also parents are having to stay home from work to take care of sick kids or they're sending sick kids to school because they can't afford to stay home from work because there are absolutely zero supports that the province has provided while we've been going through this whole nightmarish process. So much so that some school boards are starting to take action on shutting down large gatherings. But there are people who are calling for more. So pediatricians, pediatric section of the Alberta Medical Association, which is made up of over 300 physicians, is calling for temporary masking requirements in schools as pediatric hospitals are overwhelmed with a surge of viral illnesses. We've been talking about this for a while on the show now. We started with the trailer that they had to park outside of the Children's Hospital in Calgary because there wasn't enough space inside of the ER for the volume of patients that were coming through. We then talked about the fact that they've had to close the Rotary Flames House and they've had to cancel respite care for pediatric patients, for palliative pediatric patients, that they've moved all the services that the Rotary Flames House provided inside of the Children's Hospital because they don't have enough staff to deal with the current crisis. The provincial government orders 5 million bottles of children's Tylenol and children's ibuprofen. But there's two really big problems with those bottles. First of all, they don't exist yet. The company that Daniel Smith has contracted with taxpayer money to put together all of these medications doesn't actually make exactly these medications from everything that we can tell. They make what are called precursors. So they make the, the medical ingredients like car parts, like I said on, on Wednesday, it's like car parts. You can have somebody who sells all of the parts to build a car, but they're not selling the actual car. Well, in the case of what appears to be what the province of Alberta has requested, they are trying to buy an assembled car from somebody like Napa. And because this company has never sold these medications in Canada, there's a whole approval process that they have to go through. And that approval process takes not an insignificant amount of time because those drugs, if done incorrectly, if not tested properly, if they don't meet safety standards, can make sick kids even sicker, if not dead. So that approval process is really, really important. It's important to realize as well the severity of the healthcare crisis. One of the things that was making the rounds on social media this week 
was the fact that a child in Red Deer was brought to hospital by a fire truck because there were no ambulances available. Now, it would be great to say this was the very first story that we've seen like this, but we've seen a couple of stories like this across the province. There was one that circulated in Calgary not too long ago about a child being transported uh, to hospital by a fire truck. There was one in Airdrie where there was a child who was transported to Airdrie Urgent Care in a fire truck because there were no ambulances available. And we saw a social media post make the rounds yesterday, which is absolutely heartbreaking. I'm just going to read part of it, but uh, it really speaks to the, the severity of the problem. Someone died this morning waiting for an ambulance that would have saved their life, waiting a very, very long time. While waiting for help, this person went from sick, 26A, to abdominal pain, 1C, to a cardiac arrest, 9E to confirmed dead when a crew was able to show up over the course of approximately three hours. Now, the author of this post, whose name we've chosen to uh, redact because you can find it easily enough. There's a few people on our Facebook page who have said, oh, how do we know it's real? And other people have said, try searching the post. And there's plenty of, uh, plenty of ways to find the post. But it highlights the problem that, especially in rural Alberta, there is a significant ambulance shortage that's going on. Now, in the interest of transparency uh, and in no way to uh, add credibility to what I'm saying, because all of these stories are out there publicly. Uh, they've been by and large reported on by credible reporters, not just podcast hacks. Um, but for those of you who maybe aren't aware, uh, when I work professionally, I work as a paramedic. So I do absolutely have a bit of a bias in this fight. Um, I'm not disclosing that for any reason to say, oh, I know what I'm talking about. I'm disclosing that to say, this is what we do in medicine when we have a potential conflict of interest is we disclose it so that people know. That's all. But with all of this going on, with ambulance shortages raging, EMS in Calgary was hit by some scandal this week. Came to light the Calgary EMS management are under investigation for practices in regards to overtime. So reportedly, two managers were walked off the property and multiple supervisors and managers are under investigation with some reports stating that the investigation is not only being conducted by AHS, it's actually being conducted by the RCMP. It's hard to imagine a worse time for this kind of scandal to be rocking EMS when there's simply not enough ambulances, when you have two senior leadership members being walked off the property because uh, of allegations let's go with for the time being because i don't want to be threatened with any more lawsuits than i already have been um but uh also when we have multiple managers and supervisors who are under investigation for being involved in what is alleged to be a scam through which uh managers and supervisors who aren't supposed to be eligible for overtime were paying each other out and approving each other's overtime that's obviously a really big problem, and it removes a lot of supports for frontline paramedics uh, at a time when clearly it's desperately needed. But to add on to that, it was announced this week that the Alberta chief paramedic is leaving AHS. 
mixed reaction to that across the board, but there's a lot of people who are saying, uh, hey, the, we have questions. Why, why is this happening? Why, why during the implementation of the 10-point program that that chief uh, paramedic was advocating for and was part of the, the design and architecture of, why is this person stepping away from, from EMS at such a critical time? And there's no answers that are being given. Uh, lots of speculation, but no answers that are being given. But at the end of the day, it leaves AHS in a position where they're going to have to presumably scramble to find somebody to replace not only these high-level people who have been walked off the property, but also the, the chief paramedic. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a fascinating time in healthcare with healthcare crisis stuff. And while all of this is going on, it's also worth remembering that while we saw Dina Henshaw leave her role not long ago, we also saw on December 7th, Jason Copping confirmed that Dina Henshaw's two deputy chief medical officers of health had also resigned. Now, there's a lot of different ways that you can potentially interpret what all of this means. But at the end of the day, we've got some very, very smart uh, people who are, are leaving we have senior leadership people who are leaving and whether you want to attribute that to, well, it's because um, Daniel Smith is cleaning house in some way, or whether you want to attribute it to um, things are very, very bad. And people are asked to be maybe do things that they don't want to do. Very, very hard to say, because again, the information is, is incredibly limited, but it's certainly cause for concern and for alarm. We're going to go through a couple more stories before we bring in our first guest to talk about the problems with the uh, Daniel Smith's drug problem, as I've taken to saying. Um, but we're going to do a couple of those stories first. So first up, we have Rachel Notley got her portrait put up in the legislature. All premiers get it. If you go to the legislature, you can see the wall of premiers where all of the premiers in the history of Alberta have portraits that are up on the wall. They're delightful. Rachel Notley attended the, the previous portrait unveilings of the previous premiers before her. It's kind of a, a good sport thing to do. Daniel Smith did not attend Rachel Notley's uh, unveiling of her portrait. And the reason that she offered has, has definitely raised some questions for some folks. So the reason that she gave was Premier Smith had hoped to attend Rachel Notley's portrait unveiling ceremony. However, she attended an important meeting with a First Nations Tribal Council, Indigenous Tribal Council. Uh, I'm going to try to say this, and I'm apologizing in advance for how white people are going to do this, but Kitas, Kinao, Tribal Council, and a caucus meeting. Deputy Premier Nathan Newdorf joined the unveiling ceremony in her place. Now, there's a lot of indigenous people who have pointed out, and it would be, I feel, irresponsible to not try to elevate it a little bit. The fact that Danielle Smith sure seems to care about indigenous and First Nations issues when it suits her. But when it's actually indigenous and First Nations people saying, please listen to us, don't do that Sovereignty Act thing. Please listen to us. We need additional supports. Please listen to us. Well, that's when all of a sudden Daniel Smith has a really hard time listening to them. So it's a little bit, there's, there's people who have said maybe it's a, a little performative. Maybe it's a little, little exploitive. Hard to say for sure. 
The Auditor General. Moving on from there. Released a new report. This new report found 52% of businesses that received COVID-19 funding from the province should never have gotten that funding. Among its findings, the audit reviewed 1,055 of over 100,000 approved applications. So we're talking about 1% of all of the approved applications and found 52% of those 1,055 were ineligible for the grant that they received. So let me just say that again, in 1% of the applications, there was an overpay of over 5 million. And of that 5 million that those companies should not have received because they weren't eligible there's only been just over 500,000, 562,000 that has been recovered. Alberta Desire General says it's possible thousands of small and medium-sized businesses received COVID-19 relief money when they weren't eligible for it. Now, the reason why this is particularly um, important, some might say galling, is because one of the things that we saw the UCP government, particularly members of the UCP, particularly cough, Shane gets and cough, do during the implementation of the CERB program, which was supporting families who weren't able to work because of the health protections that were put in place to keep people alive, to not overwhelm the healthcare system. Shane Getson in the legislature made a crack about how ah, they're just going to use all that money for cheesies and Netflix. And while I am a huge fan of cheesies myself, uh, and there is some fine programming available on netflix that's not uh an advertisement there's just some shows on there that i dig um it's a little bit hypocritical or hypocritical to say on one hand ah the feds are giving away money and they're being irresponsible with it well at the same time the province of alberta was giving away money and apparently according to the auditor general being more than a little bit irresponsible with it just a couple more to go before we bring in our first guest. There's a new police act that was introduced in the legislature as well. Now, this act does a bunch of things. And to be fair, some of those things have been called for for a long time. It's been a while since the police act was uh, was reformed, overhauled, if you will. Um so I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here, but one of the problems that people have with the police act is the fact that it appears that as so often is the case, a piece of legislation is introduced that uh, maybe starts off with, Oh, that's, that's good stuff. They've got some good stuff in there. And then they include these other little bits. And one of the other little bits that they did is they moved the power in regards to who appoints people to police commissions away from municipalities to the province. So the way that it works, let's use Calgary as an example right now is the Calgary police commission is made up of a variety of different people. And a lot of those positions are appointed by the municipal government in Calgary, which is good in many ways because it's the Calgary police. One might almost think that part of the reason why the province of Alberta has changed that and is saying, no, 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 no. Now we're going to be the ones to appoint people to a police commission. It's the province of Alberta that's going to be appointing. It almost seems like that would go well with, I don't know, some kind of perhaps Alberta initiative for policing, maybe like a, a provincial police force or something. Maybe there's a little bit of foreshadowing going on here. 
against the best wishes of most of the municipalities in the province of Alberta. Maybe there's a connection there. Maybe there's not. Hard to say. A couple more than we want to get through real quick, though. This one's been talked about a lot. There was a social media post that went up uh, inside of an Athabasca University community group, and it had some pretty serious allegations that existed in it. Um, I'll just read a, a little bit from it here. Uh, the UCP put new members on the board, one of whom runs Friesen Brothers, which is a, a grocery chain. This man has just made open or has just openly made comments such as if they can't afford it, then they can't afford it. And the overt racist comment of saying that he doesn't think arts degrees are important, but they're still better than allowing in all of these East Indians. I was shocked and floored. Now, this started making the rounds uh, yesterday, and there's some some questions about what's going on there. Now, we'd actually talked about this uh, quite a bit in the show because the Athabasca University piece was a piece that a lot of people were paying fairly close attention to. For anybody who's not familiar, Athabasca is a distance learning university. It's almost also an open university, which means that they will take anybody for their general studies program. So if you didn't do great in high school that's okay you can go there you can build your education in order to advance your career if that's what you want to do you can totally do that at athabasca u i did that on purpose um but one of the the other pieces that has come up with athabasca university is the province on the advice of a advocacy group that lives in the town of athabasca said you know what there's not enough staff who live in athabasca who, who work at Athabasca University, we think that everybody who, who is, is important at Athabasca University, despite being a distance university that since the beginning of COVID moved the vast majority of its programming entirely online. We think that everybody who, who works for the university, especially the higher levels, they should definitely be living in the town of Athabasca. And this kicked off a big argument and debate between the Minister of Advanced Education, uh, Demetrius Nicolaides, and the, the board of Athabasca University. And it went back and forth for, for quite a while until, by order of the lieutenant governor and council, at the request, presumably, of Demetrius Nicolaides, he uh, he pretty much fired the board, revoked a boatload of appointments, and appointed a boatload of people. One of those people was indeed, there were some names on there, a lot of them are not insignificant UCP donors. What a coincidence. But one of them that came up was Mike Loveson. Mike Loveson is indeed one of the owners-operators of the Friesen Brothers grocery chain. And as you can see, the family... Oh, they do like their UCP. They do like their conservatives. They like to give money. And they don't give small amounts of money. They've been doing it for a while now. And that raised a lot of people's uh, concerns that this was entirely a, a cronyism appointment and that this person was not being appointed because they had any sort of vested interest in furthering education or making education accessible to people who it perhaps wouldn't otherwise be quite so accessible to. And then we get the Facebook post with the, the, the racist comments. Now, in fairness, there has been a statement that has been released by the Friesen Brothers. Um, on behalf of, it appears, Mike Loveson. I'm going to read that really quick, just so that I don't get sued. I understand that a member of the uh, AU, 
Athabasca University, student community who attended a public meeting of the Athabasca University Board of Governors, of which I am a board member, claimed in a social media post that I made a racist comment during that meeting. The allegation is false. The accusation runs counter to who I hold myself to be as a citizen of this community. I strongly denounce all forms of racism in all my matters, whether it be personal business or through my community contributions. With respect to all, Mike Loveson. Now, there's been mixed reaction to that. Uh, but the one reaction that seems to be the most consistent is, hey, they've got a recording of this, right? We could put this to bed pretty easy. We haven't heard anything about whether or not there's going to be a, a a releasing of that recording or of the, the minutes. Um, so there's, there's that. Moving on from there, we're going to bring in our first, uh, our first guest. He's going to talk to us a little bit about, uh, about maybe, maybe some, maybe Daniel Smith's drug problems. I, Regular caller, inner on the show by the Twitter Spaces. First time on the show live. How are you doing tonight, sir? Fine, thanks, Nate. And you? I'm having great fun. I've got my my eggnog with a straw right here. <laughs> yeah, you nearly had me spit out my tea when you said Daniel Smith's not problem. <laughs> it it uh, works great, the straw, even with the, the thick holiday eggnog. Not saying, <laughs> just saying. You know, perhaps that's uh, um, a valid excuse for the things that she was saying about this uh, Turkish uh, import of 5 million bottles of children's pain and fever meds. I just want to read you a particular quote from uh, the press release that went out on Tuesday, the 6th of December. And this is her saying, We are working cooperatively with Health Canada, and I urge them to expedite all necessary approvals in the coming days so we can load this massive shipment of pain relief medication onto the airplanes we've secured to bring this pain relief medication to Alberta families and children. This is how a cooperative federalism should work. And so, you know, I'm just thinking, let me get on the phone to Justin right now. Justin, the planes are waiting. The stuff is sitting at the loading dock. On the airstrip. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Let's get it out there. This is like, you know, N95 sitting on the Chinese runway. The planes are waiting. So a little bit of a reality check, and uh, on Tuesday night I started a Twitter thread, and I've added to it a little bit. Uh, I've got some uh, scoops for you, which um, I haven't added to Twitter yet. So some of the things we've talked about, uh, what's called a drug establishment license, or a DEL, and a drug manufacturer, ingredient manufacturer, importer, distributor, wholesaler has to have one of these. If you're passing Health Canada-regulated drugs through your facility, whether you're making it or just wholesaling it, you need one of these. So there's no Canadian importer who has one of these DELs. Secondly, the Turkish plant would have to be also licensed by Health Canada as a drug establishment license, and that would be as a foreign building annex to the application from the Canadian importer of record. The last inspection of the Turkish plant by Health Canada was in March 2019, and they last two years, so it expired March 2021. So I know that Minister Copping said something about, oh, they're approved for their raw ingredients. Uh, No, they're not. Um, Finally, there's no distributor in Canada. So if you look at Adabay's website about their global presence, uh, their overseas offices are Bulgaria and Kazakhstan. Uh, they claim to have a massive presence in North America and South America, but nothing in Canada, 
nothing in Mexico, one distributor in the U.S., um, and nothing in South America. Um, it's possible that Adobe did manufacture generic um, acetaminophen and ibuprofen products in the past. It is in their catalog. They have placeholders in the catalog. But those placeholders include things like glass bottles um, and, of course, English-only labeling for Europe uh, or for Turkey. And so in order to meet Canadian requirements, it would have to be the bottle, the weight-based dosage, the age-based dosage, the English and French ingredients, and, you know, the 1-800 number. So it's like something's going wrong with these meds or I don't understand something. You need to have a Canadian number that you can call. So Health Canada has already done all the groundwork with major North American manufacturers of this product, like Johnson & Johnson, which makes Tylenol on both sides of the border. So they've harmonized the uh, product requirements. But for this stuff that would be coming from Turkey, the product still needs to essentially be designed. The packaging, the labeling, the product inserts, that all has to be designed and designed to be acceptable to Health Canada standards. Then the product needs to be manufactured. And Health Canada, when they inspect a plant, they don't just go by with a reagent stick afterwards at the finished goods sitting on the loading dock and dip it in and go, yeah, 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 that's ibuprofen. They need to inspect the process from incoming inspection of ingredients through the manufacturing process, the quality control, the way non-compliant goods are quarantined, um, that sort of stuff. So that can't be done if what we see from the plan from the provincial government is, is that they'll buy these five million dollars, five million bottles, five million dollars, I wish, but they'll buy these five million bottles and then Hell Canada will come by and go, yeah, that can go. It needs to be an in-process inspection of a volume manufacturing uh, process in place. I wanted to, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just talk a little bit about some of the numbers involved. Yeah, but I mean... So looking, thanks. So we're talking about 5 million bottles that in Canada retail for between 10 and $15. So I wanted to look at an example where Alberta has done a questionable procurement. And I looked, for example, in October 2020 when then Health Minister Shandro and then Jobs and Employment Minister, uh, the former MLA for Calgary Elbow, um, Dougie Schweitzer, uh, gave an announcement at an ORPIX plant, O-R-P-Y-X, in Calgary in October 2020. After, you know, their representation was, we had COVID, it's under control, we want to bring up a second source, we're going to give this second source 10% of the volume that we've had. Um, and so they... Uh, had a press conference where they announced a contract for 40 million masks at $1.50 each for $60 million over two years of ASTM-compliant uh, blue procedural masks, what I call blue leakies. You know, they're great for medical procedures and not having the patient's fluid splash in your face, but they're not that good for infection control. So at the time, so we're talking 2020. There was some supply difficulty earlier in the year, but by then the supply base had caught up. The landed cost for the Primate PG4 masks for AHS at the time was 61 cents each. This contract, two-year contract that was given to Orpix by the government of Alberta was 40 million masks at $1.50 each. So we purchased 24 million masks, or $24 million worth of masks, and $35.6 million worth of subsidy to be an also-ran in the flat mask market. So when I look at that 2.46, 2.5 times multiple, 
uh, I worry about how much the premium is being paid on these generic uh, products from the Turkish plant, especially with the plan to manufacture first and hope for Health Canada approval later. Uh, this stuff will just sit there. So why, 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 why would Alberta government money that Daniel Smith controls be going to this company, Adobe, um, prior to Health Canada approval? Well, it could be because Adobe makes two COVID-19 products which are not approved. One of them they call Kirovir, which is hydroxychloroquine sulfate, and the other which they call Favicovir, which is based on the genetic ingredient Favipovir, which is a flu medication from Japan, but it doesn't have the efficacy to be regulated um, for COVID-19. Uh, there's another very interesting story that came from Eli White, who's uh, someone who tweeted me back and we had a little bit back and forth. Um, the 6th of December, Tuesday, was the announcement by the government of Alberta. Wednesday, the 7th of December, an article came out on the Turkish state broadcaster, or state press agency's website, Anadolu Agency, from a gentleman named Barry Ellsworth, uh, who was reporting from Trenton, Alberta, or Trenton, Canada, sorry, Trenton, Ontario. So he uh, wrote a glowing article um, for the Turkish press, uh, government press agency, that said that uh, Canada was getting 5 million of these immediately. Excuse me, I'm kind of gassy. I must be having generic meds. Um, <laughs> sorry, Turkish delight. Actually, I was having baklava, so uh, well, there you sorry go. about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the uh, uh, Turkish state press agency hired this freelancer uh, in Trenton, Ontario, who also writes very right-wing articles for the National Post, to hype this uh, 5 million bottle order uh, that'll be shipping from Atabe to the Western Canadian province of Alberta. And it concludes uh, with copying saying, which isn't in the press release that the government put out, the province saying, the province will need 500,000 bottles and the rest will be shared with other provinces, copying said. So I guess he's got a scoop. But it's uh, a little interesting that the Canadian, the Alberta government press office and the Turkish government press office are saying the same thing, but they've got the scoop. Um, another little thing about Turkish ministers who have connections to their press offices. The Turkish health minister is a gentleman named Fareta Koka. He's the health minister. He's also the nephew of the Adabe founder, um, which makes him the cousin to Dr. Oz because it's Dr. Oz's mother um, whose uh, uh, family owns Adabe and uh, manages it still. So some interesting connections between government officials and private sector agencies. I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack in what you just said there, sir. I think the, the, the two big things that kind of jump out for me is it reinforces that uh, as much as Daniel Smith, I mean, those planes are going to be waiting for a while if they've been if they've been booked. And it seems to reinforce the concerns that a lot of people have raised that, you know, people have noted school absences have dropped somewhat from where they were a few weeks ago. So it, it appears that at least this wave of these things and RSV is a very, very seasonal respiratory virus. Um, it, it seems like these, these waves of these things may be tapering off. And so it's, as you pointed out, the federal government has the national 
federal government has uh, been able government. to. Yeah. <laughs> they've been able to work with uh, existing manufacturers who have all of the required credentials and and licensing and things and stuff, and their stuff is coming in. We don't know when the Daniel Smith stuff is going to be coming in. If it goes, if it meets all of all of those requirements, we could be getting these these drugs in time for potentially next year's flu season. Am, am I am I completely off base with that? Or they'll be collecting dust if they're built. They'll be collecting dust in the Turkish plants uh, finished goods warehouse next year. Uh, you know, there'll probably be something done to allow them to sell to other markets. But it's unlikely without prior regulatory approval from Health Canada of both the packaging, um, the dosage, et cetera, and approval of the manufacturing process, it's unlikely they'll they'll come to Canada. Okay. Now, the other piece of it that's interesting to me is, I mean, let's talk about the the, the packaging piece, because that's, that's fun for me. Uh, the way that I kind of view what you're saying there is that when we're talking about the the packaging, you know, it's the the big issue is glass bottles. The other big issue is that uh, it wouldn't be bilingual. It's conceivable, I suppose, that they could just print a bunch of stickers and slap them on plastic bottles. But the question that I, I find myself wondering, too, is if I'm a parent and I've got a sick kid um, and the federal government has corrected the supply chain issues that exist for the the regular brands of acetaminophen and ibuprofen. Um, why am I? Why would I choose the 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 brand that I'm unfamiliar with uh, that has a, has a sticker thrown on it? Why Why would I do that? Is, can you think of any reasons? <laughs> No, uh, you know, trust is very important. So, you know, language is one issue and, you know, you can't just stick a Je m'appelle Brendan Miller uh, sticker on it uh, in order to meet the French requirement. Uh, dosage by weight and dosage by age is an important part of this too. And I don't know for sure whether glass bottles are prohibited for Canadian children's medications, but I just know that's a difference between what Health Canada is allowing now and what the Turkish plant um, is, sh- is uh, shipping from their catalog product. Um, you know, especially with children's medications, people want to recognize brand. And, you know, I go to a nearby pharmacy, uh, Luke's Drug Mart, that has um, generic brands as well as name brands. And the generic brands are stinging around the shelves longer than the name brands. Um, so, you know, people look, they go Johnson & Johnson, Tylenol. Um, uh, I'm not uh, endorsing any particular thing, whether it's the Drug Mart or the or the, or the pharmaceutical products, but people like a respected brand name. And this is not a respected brand name. It's also not from a respect from a uh, recognized distribution channel. So that's a part of product safety that pharmaceutical pharmaceutical retailers look for as well, right? Is is this coming from my regular distribution sources? Where's how am I getting this stuff? Um, yeah, the the um, harmonization that happened, from what I'm reading so far, it might even lead to common um, requirements both in Canada and the US. So there's an interesting history that we had and it ties to what you said about the flu and the early surge we've had with the flu. Just because we've had an early surge like a month ahead of the normal ramp up doesn't mean that we're done, right? We could still yeah, get the sure. normal ramp up after this. Yep, yep. And that's what depleted the pain and fever medication um, supply in summer in May through August when we should be building up. So during that time when North America is building up, 
we had two things happening in parallel. One is that Australia had a huge flu season, and so we couldn't get the meds that are normally manufactured in the global supply chain for Australia. And then the other is that um, Canada had an early RSV surge in the summer of 2022. And so that depleted meds as well, too. And then there's a hospital in Ontario that in August said, oh, you know what? We're running low on these uh, children's pain and fever relievers. Parents, you should probably get a prescription to make sure you have enough supply when your kids need it. And that, of course, caused a run and that caused hoarding. And so we went into September completely emptied out. I don't think I've shared this article on my Twitter thread yet, but the Canadian government met with industry in April, May of this year because we first had an alarm about these medications uh, in the spring when one particular manufacturer was unable to meet, was unable to manufacture for a while. They had a bit of a shutdown. And so um, at that time, the Canadian government met with industry and said, so do you want us to open up the packaging changes for the American channel, the American manufacturing to come into Canada? And at that time, industry said no. And then we had the summer of RSV, we had the flu season in Australia, we had the hoarding that happened after the Ontario hospitals um, uh, 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 unwise warning, and uh, we then had empty shelves. So we're now doing what government and industry, some parts of the industry wanted to do in April to prevent this problem from happening. The other thing that I just want to highlight that you brought up there is the fact that apparently, as per the press release from the company that's making the drugs um, or the, the 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 article that you mentioned that, that came out of uh, Turkey, it's the press agency. Yeah. Yes. Five hundred thousand of these bottles are going to stay in Alberta. Four and a half million are going to be going out to other provinces uh, and territories. I almost wonder, like, what happens if they say. Nah, we're good, thanks. <laughs> yeah, you, you can you can keep your your fellow to, fellow to the back of the the van, um, Tylenol. We've we've got the real stuff over here now. So like, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, you know, I've done some consulting work for 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 pharmacies, right? And there's established wholesalers like McKesson and Rexall, and you know, Loblaw Superstore has their people. So. You know, they've already got their established relationship with the manufacturers and their volume pricing and all that sort of stuff, right? So um, to try and insert this stuff that Alberta bought and is now trying to flog on the market um, uh, with us taxpayers paying the subsidy to meet the wholesale price that these pharmaceutical wholesalers are already dealing with is going to be really expensive. And it's just not a brand name that's known or recognized. Um, it's... This is a frustration people have with the federal government is they're saying, well, the feds don't say to us when the next million is going to come, right? Like, so the feds in November released 1.1 million bottles. And then I think there was another million or so in the last uh, 10 days or so. So people are saying, why isn't Ottawa telling us when the next shipment is coming? Well, it's because Ottawa isn't involved in that. What Ottawa did is allow the American manufacturers to sell into the Canadian distribution channel. And the free market is handling that. So this isn't something where government does has their hands in it anymore. They've done their part of clearing the regulations for the cross-border product. And now it's really up to the supply and demand within the private sector distribution system to handle it. And and they are. Okay. I wanna I wanna say thank you so much for taking the time to walk through all of this stuff because it's if it wasn't so um bad 
it would be comical. I think it might still be a little comical, but it's that that sort of like, oh, that joke didn't have to happen. Uh, is there anything else that you want people to hear? Is there anything else you want people to, to know? Uh, and while I'm asking that question, I, I'm sure that there's a lot of listeners that are familiar with your your Twitter stuff. But if you wouldn't mind mentioning your your Twitter handle as well, just so that we can make sure you've you've, you've referred to a couple of threads that you've done. I know that uh, we we follow them here. Um, so what do you want people to know? But first, what's your Twitter handle? Where, where can people go to, to see all of this in detail? Sure. So my Twitter handle is my first name, last name, just like it's, you could probably see it on the YouTube, but it's Z-I-A-D-F-A-Z-E-L. And um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll add some additions uh, today from what we discussed, uh, and then I'll pin that uh, thread to my profile as a pinned tweet. Um, the other thing I'd like to say is, We've seen this before from the Alberta government with Vanch masks, with the IFR chlorinated masks for the children's schools, with the rapid test purchase that happened in December, January 2020, well, December 2021, January 2022, uh, and with the uh, BYD children's masks that had a four-hour exposure limit that the government said were medical grade 98% as good as an N95. And in fact, there's a four-hour limit that kids shouldn't wear them past that. So... I received some anonymous tips um, from people during that time, and this may be the largest scandal yet. If we're looking at five million bottles for between, let's say, twenty to thirty dollars each, uh, we're looking at a hundred to one hundred fifty million dollar spend that's crossing Alberta government and Health Canada uh, jurisdictions, as well as crossing borders. So, there are civil servants and others working on this who are seeing stuff cross their desk, and are probably making a photocopy of a COIA memo. And so don't necessarily have to give it to me, uh, but I would recommend you hang on to those CYA memos and give it to your favorite investigative journalist who can protect your identity because, uh, yeah, it's necessary. And there are some amazing, I know that uh, there's some amazing investigative journalists here in Alberta that usually if you go to their their Twitter accounts, they've got their email stuffs too. Um, I know that, I mean, one of the names that, that comes up to my mind immediately is Charles Russell. He's done some incredible investigatory work, especially in the, the realm of health. And he is always... Uh, been open to tips and things um, so yeah there's there's lots of very good thorough credentialed practiced responsible journalists out there so thanks to them for doing the awesome work yeah janet french at cbc is another adam toy at global is another uh and they would rather go to jail than reveal your identity so it's one thing to trust me but these are people who'll go to jail to protect your identity so feel free to blow the whistle to them a lot <laughs> there we go. See, Ed, I want to say thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. I really do appreciate you taking the time. And uh, once again, for anybody who's listening slash watching, Ziad's Twitter handle is at the little A circle thinger with Z-I-A-D-F-A-Z-E-L. No spaces, just the whole thing right there. And we'll uh, once we're done this broadcast, we'll probably hop on and retweet that whole thread so that people can see it there too. I think we might have done it once, but we'll be... I'll double check to make sure that we did. Thank you again so much for taking the time, sir. Thanks for having me, Nate. And your interview with Natasha was fantastic. Uh, if you're going to plug me, I'm going to plug you on that. That was really good what you did there. You really gave good insight into what's happening with EMS in Alberta. So thank you for doing that. Okay. <laughs> I, pre I appreciate I appreciate that. We try I, we try not to have like the, the Nate stuff overlap with the, the oh, breakdown. Sorry. Too much. sorry. No, it's, it's, but I, I do appreciate the, the kind words. Thank you again. My pleasure.
All right. So you heard it there from Ziad. I mean, this is this echoes the concerns that we've heard from a lot of people that the the promises that Danielle Smith made in regards to uh, the the pharmaceuticals that she was obtaining for kids and the reality are two very, very different things. And I'm just going to have so much fun for the next year while we wait for these drugs to maybe show up or not using the hashtag Danielle Smith's drug problem, because it just makes my heart so happy in the meantime to run down all of the stories that we talked about earlier and talk about how I'm far too cynical. Uh, we're very excited to be joining again by none other Sarah Biggs. Sarah, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I I'm enjoying my drink with my pink silicone straw. See, right? They work great. I, ha I, uh, yeah. Dishwasherable, no less. It was, it was not planned. Let's put it this it was not planned. That, I see mine. My, my, my thick beverage <coughs> straw is uh, also pink, and it works yeah. fantastic. I'm just gonna get the last little bit of my eggnog here. My mother always sends us. Uh, my mother is very, very, you know. She's um, much more crunchy than I am. And she always sends us those little things. She even made like launch wraps with like wax bees and stuff. It's you know. I like the silicone, the silicone straws actually. I, I I find them to be perfectly effective and they're easy to wash. And I don't have to visualize them coming out of a sea turtle's nose, which is good because I'm sensitive. So let's start from the top. Bill one, it's a thing now, and you were right. I will give it to you. You said when they when they launched the initial version that had all of the deeply alarming overreach and very bad things, you were like, ah, that won't happen. And I was like, but they're trying to. And you were like, no, don't worry about it. And they did have to remove the most of the very, very bad things. Apparently, they do all fancy, all MLAs and ministers now to be constitutional <laughs> scholars. So that's cool because I would love to hear Shane Getson's take on constitutional matters. I'm sure they're extraordinarily nuanced and well-informed. Um, <laughs> but uh, so you were right. The very, very bad version didn't go through. But what do you make? We played a couple of clips at the at the top of the show where mm -hmm. we, we had Daniel Smith talking about the need for straws. And mm -hmm. we have to think of, think of the milkshakes people. And we also played the clip where she talked about how the way that the Sovereignty Act will be used... I'm sure as it always was intended to be would be the next thing that she would say was now we're going to, if we hear rumors of the federal government implementing policies that we don't like, we can debate them in the legislature and say, Hey, if you do that thing, we'll, we'll see you in court suckas. Um, PR win. <laughs> so last night when the, the audio came out. A journalist tweeted it out, and I texted said journalist, and I was like, "Wait, are you kidding me?" I was like, and I, I couldn't breathe. Like, <laughs> and then after that, there was the guy that you know had suggestions for healthcare. Uh, I had to stop because my uh, props. My my husband was screaming. <laughs> I was like, "No, okay, we're done." You know, uh, who takes eggnog? <laughs> I, th Sorry. I think that could that could that could be your whole comment right there. Just I can't uh. stand eggnog, like because in French it's the equivalent of chicken milk. No thanks. 
it's the translation is chicken milk. It's gross. Anyways, that's a rabbit uh, hole I don't want to go down tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but from, so <laughs> there, where does one but, milk a chicken? I don't know. So Bill so one. I'm tired. It's been it's been a day. No, but we'll see. <laughs> Again, use responsibly. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, the more we go to court, the more money we spend, the less fiscal conservative we are. You know, conservatives are all about small government and very little intervention. That's that's kind of defeating the purpose here. Um, but should we go to court about something about straws? No. No, we should not. There's good compostable plastic straws that are being made oh, yeah. out there. Like, it's not a... Think of the turtles, guys. The turtles. We need to save the turtles. This is what no, I think about all day, you know, every day. I, I, I think she got a little bit overly enthusiastic when she was talking about, you know... How she was feeling put... it. There was a lot of milkshake oh, rage going on there. But again, it's a problem that she had, that she was dealing with, that it was not... So I don't know if everybody... Like, we talked about it before. There is a pattern. When there's something that is not... Um, when uh, the premier has had as a personal experience that didn't go well, usually... There's a legislation or there's comments or there's something pointed out to that very, very, very problem. You know, vouchers for school. Ms. Smith tried to uh, start her own charter school. didn't work. Uh, root beer floats. Well, uh, I, I thought you, you, you eat a root beer float with like a spoon. That's oh, been my okay. experience is you start with a spoon to get the ice cream out. And then you use the straw to get like the the... The remainder out. Yeah. I'm not a I've never had a ruby or float, so you know I'm not. They're delightful. Uh, it's too much sugar. <laughs> That's fair. But, I always I always chase it know, with half a bottle of Tums. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but no, you know I'm hoping that the bill one's going to be used. Um, no, I'm not saying she's a narcissist. I'm saying that she's going. Uh, you know, she's using personal experience and Stop trying to relate to everybody. Um, okay, I'm going to hide them here. Sorry. Uh, well, I'm trying to be attractive. So, no, I'm hoping that the bill is going to be used in a reasonable manner, in a responsible manner, because that would be the right thing to do. Uh, is it going to be used that way? I'm getting a little worried that we're going to be like, ha, bill one. But here's the, here's here's the question. I mean, we we heard Daniel Smith on your province, your premier, just yesterday say that the way that the bill will be used is if they hear about a policy that the feds might be implementing. So we're not talking about existing legislation. We're not talking about something that's gone through the multiple readings at the at Parliament, that's gone through the Senate process. We're talking mm -hmm. about. I heard from a little birdie that they might be. I don't know, outlawing double A batteries on Tuesdays, and that's unacceptable. So, based oh. on on that idea, not the actual legislation, not the actual policy, based on a proposed um, idea, they're going to then have a debate in the legislature about whether or not that policy would be constitutional or or not constitutional or harmful to Alberta. As but it's just 
there's little birdies everywhere all the time. Absolutely. We know that. Yeah. Like we deal, Nate and I deal with birdies every day. And sometimes you think you're on something good, but it's a total doozy and you just got to let it go. Are we going to use legislature time to talk about what ifs and just in case we did our due diligence? This is the question. No. Like, we have so much to deal with right now. We do not. Like, but that's how Smith described it. Are we going to eat legislature time to worry that Justin Trudeau might be like, Oh, no, 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 no. You got to charge five cents for compostable bags now. No, I don't want to see my government using that time for that. I want my government debating education. I want to see them talk about health care. I want them to implement new programs. I want them to take care of Albertans. I'm pretty sure that the majority of Albertans, yes, having a soggy straw sucks. No pun intended. We... Oh, shit. Fine. <laughs> But we have bigger problems. We do. But that's that's the core of the question that I'm trying to get to is the Sovereignty Act become some so soggy that it has now reached the point of being ineffectual because it literally, as described, is going as it's Daniel Smith doing the description. So it's not that I'm wildly paraphrasing. We played the clip. I can play it again. No, 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 no. You're not. Um, where, Where she said it's going to be based on and she concurred with the radio host when he said, so basically what you're saying is if, if the federal government does something that we don't like, then what you'll say is we're going to have a debate in the legislature, let you know that if you do this, we're going to take you to court. And she said 100%. So she seems to have completely abandoned the, the rhetoric that she had all the way through the, the campaign and is now describing quite literally what the job of the federal, the provincial government is in relation to the federal. I love. What did we say last week, Nate? This is what I'm saying. It is a wet paper tiger now. It's a it's a wet. That's paper what it is. Straw. It's oh, we shouldn't. We should commission one made out of straws. Ooh, I like that. Ooh. A paper tiger made out of straws, and then we could just dip it in yeah. a root beer milkshake. But you know, we we talked about it last week. Um, you know, the Alberta Sovereignty Act is not bringing anything. It is not, it's adding red tape around a lot of things. It is, but the thing is that they still have, I don't get it anymore, Nate. Nothing makes sense. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You know, sometimes they do things, I'm like, okay, yeah, but this, the Alberta Sovereignty Act, is a promise that was made that has been watered down like homeopathy at 9CH and be like, here, here's your sovereignty act. We can act on things because it says that, but now they're involving the whole legislature instead of going through cabinet and decide to go to court. Stupid. I think you hit the, the nail on the head with the last bit there. I might get blocked, but whatever. Here's Here's my question. We're going to move on from there to the, the healthcare yeah. situation because we saw, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the pediatric section of the Alberta Medical Association saying, hey, you know what? For schools that are above 10% absences, you've got to put masks in there. And the response from the province seems to has largely been um, 
no, we're not even going to talk about that. We're not even going to address that. We're going to, as Daniel Smith said in her radio show, and this is another quote that we didn't play on tonight's episode. Um, you know what our mistake was? We listened to the experts and we're not going to do that anymore. She literally said that. So um, she's, she's going to a, a broader, uh, whatever it was, uh, she's going to find people who give her confirmation bias for her medical things is how I interpret it. And I could be wrong. Um, but the province is saying nothing about masking. They're not saying that the, the response is, you know, things are so bad for kids that we're going to go down this ridiculous route that Ziad described, where we're going to be contracting this company that can't do any of the things right now and probably can't for the foreseeable future. That's how bad things are. We're going to desperate measures, but God, no, we can't even entertain the possibility of masks on well, no, that, that would be the responsible thing to do. But, you know, at the end of the day, we are. So here's what I'm going to say. We are in the land of personal responsibility. Guys, mask up. Wear your mask. Make your kids wear a mask at school. Try to, you know, if you're getting an outbreak letter, Get your kids to wear masks. Get, you know, you're the parent. So here's what's hilarious. We are the parents. You're a parent. I'm a parent. We know what is best for our kids. So let's take it that way. Let's take their approach. Let's make it worse for the rest of the population who understands what's going on right now. We, you know, the government's not going to do anything unless, like, the CMOH is putting us for them, but I, 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 we haven't seen Dr. Joffe in how long now? Where, where, where is he? He's... I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> um... it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think that we as a society, as, a, as communities, as, you know, talk to your school boards, talk to the parents if you feel like RSV cases, flu cases, COVID cases are too high. Mask up. We need to make the call by ourselves now. There's, I don't think it would be reasonable to expect the government to make any decision on masking. Well, Unfortunately. That would, that would be the, the responsible leadership-y thing to do. Um, so I... I guess, I guess not. Um, I want to, here's, here's one of the things that I, and, and I have to tread a little bit carefully here um, and be very, very clear that I'm speaking only for myself and the views that I'm espousing do not represent any organization that I may or may not be affiliated with. Um, (laughs) From a purely crisis communication standpoint, we saw yeah. two major scandals in EMS this week. We saw yeah. two senior leadership members being walked off the property, allegedly. We saw multiple senior level leaders and managers and supervisors allegedly involved in an in investigation. It's been confirmed that AHS has an investigation. There's been allegations that it is severe enough that the RCMP are involved. Um and we saw the the chief paramedic, who was one of the architects of the ten step plan, say, "So long, thanks for all the fish." What do you, on a scale of of one to ten, the the communications from it appears the communications from the involved bodies have basically been, uh, yeah, so things happening, and that's all you get to know. Is that the right move? Well, scale one to ten, good or bad? 
Well, what, what, it's bad. Without fully knowing what's going on, where are the unions right now? Where are they? Where What's going on? Where Why are they not speaking up? There's concerns to be addressed. There are some s- safety aspects that needs to be addressed. The government has been like really, really mum about it. Um, they're not letting, like I said before, they're not letting it. It is a very, very airtight government. They will only let us know what they want us to know. Let's put it that way. Um, like just for an example, the throne speech. We didn't have it when we walked in. We received it when we walked out. Um, everything is extremely, 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 um, you know, it's it's really tight. But it, it is bad. Um, you know, I've been keeping an eye on um, the unions. I've been keeping an eye on the organizations. There's not much happening. And we are in crisis, like you said. Some, somebody passed. There's a kid that had to get uh, brought up to the hospital by, an ambul- by a fire truck. What... What what more do we need here? What 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 we have blood on our hands. We are failing as a the whole system is failing right now because we are not able to make appropriate decisions with fully knowing that those are not the right decisions. And I'm I would like to see the unions showing more teeth. That's what unions are for. Unions are for to protect, to speak for the workers. But at some point, when you have someone dying because they waited for three hours and they coded at the end and you don't have anyone to resuscitate them and uh, Auntie Linda maybe had her CPR 15 years ago. I'm sorry, she's not going to be able to do chest compressions for 10 minutes. Because usually you swap every minute, minute and a half when you, you're in the ER. It's very exhausting. What is it going to take next? What do we need? Like, is what's going to happen? Like, for an example, if there's a huge, huge accident on Highway 2, are we not going to have enough ambulances to take care for those people? Are we going to use all resources to go help those people in the cities will be at risk. What's the end game here? I would love to know what the end game is because it is concerning because it is the public safety that is at risk right now. And the unions should be extremely loud about this. Uh, Where's the ombudsman? Where are the professional organizations? Where is everybody? Everybody has been so, so, so silent. And you know, there's two things you don't fuck around is healthcare, three things, healthcare, finances, and education. And right now, healthcare, the board got fired. Okay. It's been, what, three weeks now? Give or take. Any changes? Any changes? I don't see anything. Um, EMS is in crisis. How many unfilled shifts? Did they have this week like 350 or something? I think it was 340 something. There were a couple of memes that were making the the rounds that made the numbers a little yeah. hard for me to it's, remember this week. It's a lot of ambulance. I, 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 what is it going to take for the unions to? I'm gonna send them dentures or something so they can have more bite. 
Like, <laughs> the government needs to realize that. Like, do something. Like, the apathy is in the province right now. There's a lot of people advocating for the right thing. But there's a lot of people and sometimes the wrong organizations that are pathetic towards certain situations. And I think that we have reached that point now where it's not like, oh, cold orange, like, whoa, no, we're in cold red right now. And, you know, guys, you guys need to step up because who will? Who I'm gonna I'm gonna do a plug here for something that's that's not related to either yeah, of us in any way. Um, because one of the the DMs that I got earlier this week had to do with a little while ago, CTV put out an hour long documentary uh, where they talked about the the EMS crisis, um, mm. and it's a it's quite a powerful watch. They have they they speak to some of the families that have have experienced negative impacts because of how things have have gone, uh, and it's it's really quite impactful. Uh, there's an update coming. So on, I think it's boxing day. Uh, they are going to be dropping an updated version of it. Uh, yes. One hour version on December 26th. Um, and I would, anybody who's trying to wrap their heads around the kind of things that we're talking about here, I would definitely urge you to uh, set the PVR. I mean, you know, we're going to be tweeting the link out. Uh, so keep an eye out for that because the, the severity of the problem really, I don't think can be overstated. Uh, I mean, that that post that was making the rounds this weekend that talked about the the tragic reality that um, there's there's somebody who exhibited what what many people are saying are the sort of the textbook signs of uh oh might be having a cardiac uh, event. Um, and they went through the entire progression, uh, unfortunately and tragically, including death. Uh, that's the thing that happened very, very recently. And I think that that speaks to that. I mean, if, if, if you're, if you're somebody who's struggling and listening to this and, and trying to think, well, why does this matter to me? The, the question like, that I think you should be asking guys, yourself is send me a DM, <laughs> send us DMs. We can explain it. Everybody's struggling right now. I'm ho- like Maddie started coughing today. I'm like, Oh, here we go again. But I mean, here's the thing like, that could be anybody's anybody's family member it could be that's anyone. the bottom line it's, it could be you it could be your wife it could be your kid it could be your your aunt your grandma uh i like, mean we're having grandpa grandma dinner on christmas day grandpa's 96 like you know i i they're lucky that it has not happened to one of my family members because i would break hell Unfortunately, I cannot break hell alone, and we cannot advocate alone. We need to have, in order to get something done, we've seen with the Alberta Sovereignty Act, it took not just a village, but a full province to get behind it and be like, no, this is not working. Um, But, you know, doing advocacy work is exhausting. Doing advocacy work brings you a lot of enemies. And doing advocacy works, you need a lot of people in your corner. You can't, you know, it's it cannot be up to just a few people and talk about the issues. Everyone needs to talk about those issues. If you feel like there's not enough measures at your school, well, try to talk with the teachers and be like, hey, what do you need? Can we bring you in? We need to go back to a sense of community, and that's what we have lost. 
for the past three years. And we need to go back to, you know, before COVID, when the ECP was in power, it was not as, it was not like that. It was a little bit like that, but it was not like that. Well, I've said it before. I go back to to how Albertans responded to the floods in Calgary uh, and how Albertans responded to the, the fires in Fort Mac. I mean, one of the logistical problems that existed during the fires in Fort Mac was they literally didn't have the, the storage space to put all of the donations that they were receiving from Albertans. That's that's who Albertans are. And I think that's a, you're absolutely right. That's a thing that we, we need to get back to. I want to end on a lighter ish note. I hope he said cautiously, optimistically. Um, Sarah Biggs, you are the executive issues manager for the Premier of Alberta in this scenario. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to do a scenario here. Um, you're the executive issues manager to the Premier of Alberta. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know what? Notley's getting her picture. Are you going to say to the Premier of Alberta, oh, you need to find an excuse to not attend, make it something that's cultural so people can't get too squirrely about it. Uh, and whatever you do, don't go. Or are you going to say, you know what? Take 30 seconds, step out of the room, go say hi, pose for a picture, go about your day. Uh, which one are you doing? Cause it's pretty clear what advice Smith got, or at least what she decided to do. What's the Sarah big strategy. The Sarah Biggs would be just show up for 30 seconds and say, Hey, sorry, you guys got to go. Cause I got a province to run. That's what I would have said. Um, the speaker was there. The deputy uh, premier was there. Uh, send Casey as an extra if you want. You know, the more the merrier. But there's a lot of things I don't want to do in my life, but I still show up because I have to. And I smile. And there's some people that I don't want to hug that I still hug. Because I have to, and I smile because I have a job to do. Do you think that leading by example is something? What's that? I was going to say. Do you think that there's an argument that you know Daniel Smith is the premier of Alberta, as much as she may not like Rachel Notley for whatever reason, be it ideological or personal? the The reality is Rachel Notley did serve as premier for Alberta. Uh, for four years, she won her election fair and square. She did indeed. So she served a full term. Is there is there something that I'm missing that's wrong with recognizing that somebody did that service and saying, "Hey, you know what? You did do the thing." I disagree with 99 percent of your politics, but yeah. um, there's your picture with every other premier in the province of Alberta. Um, I hope you'll come to mine. That's what I would have done. If you know, I was if I was in Daniel Smith's I, shoes, I would have been like, "Hey, you know what? If you win your seat in Edmonton, because I'm coming for you, if you win your seat in Edmonton, when I get my portrait, I hope that you'll come to mine too. I hope we can both be bigger people like that. That's how I would have I would have positioned I, it. But I'm petty and small. I always <laughs> apparently not as petty and small as some people though. But you know, I always believe in you know lead by example. Um. And, you know, what something that I learned this summer is that you might not have to agree with everybody, and you won't. There's a lot of people in the campaign trail I disagreed with a whole lot. 
But at the end of the day, when they have a success or they do something right or, you know, something is happening, you're there and you support them. And you're showing good face and be like, congratulations. But this and is... This is part of the whole whole point of, of, I think, sort of what the breakdown is trying to do in many ways, in that you can have conversations and be respectful with people with whom you have differences of, of opinions. You can, you can say to somebody, I totally disagree with your position on X, Y, Z, but on this one thing, maybe it's, you know, we can, we can still have a conversation. Well, look at the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Good, I didn't agree on it. And I was like, no, 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 Nate, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine, Nate. Don't. And I sounded, and a lot of people told me, they were like, well, you sound like you're carrying water for the UCP. No, the bill is bad, but it's so bad that it's not going to happen because there has been so much pushback from outside and inside the house. Oh. God. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna do I'm that. Just one. ignoring the last I'm get, comment. No, I'm getting in on that one. Um, no, no, hold on. Okay, WEF. Let's talk about WEF first. Yeah, we're gonna do that really quick before. We... <laughs> I have a bit of a hard, hard deadline in about w- ten minutes. But... You know, there's a lot of things that are being said about a lot of organizations out there, like Bill Gates is trying to microchip everybody. Melinda Gates is, you know running a pedophile pizza parlor somewhere in Washington or something. Um, you know, uh, Soros is trying to buy everybody in control. COVID was, I don't know, a way to eliminate people because apparently the WEF has an agenda of reducing the po- world population to 1 billion people, which is absolutely fucking insane. Michelle Rempel went to the WEF. Stephen Harper went to the WEF. If you look at those very, very, very true conservatives, it's a bunch of rich people attending a party and talking about ideas. And no, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid Deborah. I just understand how things work and I get my information from real sources. I don't listen to Jamie Sally saying that someone dropped dead, but it's probably the vaccine. No, heart attacks happen. People die suddenly of aneurysm and cancer. Oh, Deborah, just apologize to you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> that, that comment wasn't directed at you. So, oh, sorry, uh, Sherry, uh, Sherilyn. Yeah, okay, yeah, sorry. I, I, we, didn't we talked about sorry, it on the sorry, show. Deborah. We've talked but about it on the show before. The WEF thing is 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 probably the world's dumbest smokescreen. It is a like you said, Sarah. It's a group of wealthy, influential people who are saying, "Hey, maybe there's some policy things that we could do to maybe do things better." And then people who are operating for profit media consortiums who maybe remind some people of i don't know children's cartoons that never should have existed in the first place nothing against the french people but nobody likes caillou um <gasps> it's just just the truth i'm just speaking the truth okay, here. Coco Mel and jj's the new caillou though no caillou 
nope, 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 nope. And there's a dark theory behind Caillou. I'm not going to go into it. But the the reality is, is that (laughs) the people who are whipping up the fear about organizations like WEF are doing so because they can make a boatload of money scaring the shit out of people. The WEF, I have the app on my phone. I'm not controlled. My 5G hasn't gotten any better. It's it's literally just a forum uh, of people who are getting together and saying, hey, here's some ideas. What do you all think? And if we are so terrified as a society of a group of people getting together to exchange ideas that maybe might make things better, we're in a lot of trouble. And you know, there are so many conservatives who are, 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 like you said, Sarah, there's so many conservatives who are, have attended the WEF, who have supported the WEF, because across the political spectrum, once you take the tinfoil, oh, I got corrected on the Caillou thing. Once you take the, the, the tinfoil hat off, there are people across the political spectrum who say, you know what? Exchanging ideas isn't a terrible idea. That's how we get better ideas. And the idea that, you know, I, I'm going to say one other thing and then I'm done with the WF thing. I'll let you say whatever you need to and I'll just get out of your way and say one other thing. If we are in such a place that the idea of eating insects is anathema to our whole culture, then I would encourage you to go to the candy shop at Bragg Creek because they sell candy insects there already. And if you think that that the mom and pop candy shop in Bragg Creek is part of some sort of WEF conspiracy, you need to go dunk your head in cold water and that's all I have to say. (coughs) Look, they're using a certain bug to make it the red color in food juice. Already, it's been used for like, what, 45 years now? It's been used forever. I am sick and tired. So rule of thumb... When Theo and Jamie are talking about something, look the other way because they're usually wrong. Okay? Those people, it's, you know, they're telling us to stay in our lane. Well, stay in your fucking lane. You're not a scientist. You're not a scientist. You're not a doctor. You decided to go watch videos on YouTube because you were stuck home. Sorry, I had enough. Like, it is... They're taking advantage of people that are not do not have the capacity of getting proper information. They're drilling. Look at some of the convoy people. Look at what happened to me three weeks ago when I was on CBC. I got inundated with insults saying I was a puppet. Theo Fleury went after me because I said, you know what? It's better for Trudeau to own his emergency act then running away and saying, oh, I don't have anything to do with this. It was better politically. And that is my lane. That is my thing to say. But when you go after me or I'm worried about the safety of my job because I'm holding public opinions about something, maybe I'm not on the wrong side of the fence. Maybe they need to check their hat. Maybe it's a little too tight. There we go. You got, don't talk about the WF on this show, please. Just don't bring that here. Don't. Don't do it. Uh, Sarah, I'm hitting my wall here. I got to do the wrap up. We're going to be back on Wednesday. I think that there's going to be even more to talk about because that police act thing is going to continue to unfold. And I know there's some municipalities that are super unhappy with that. And there are some interesting implications for a provincial police force that I want to use. I was hoping to get in with you tonight, but then we ran out of time. Um, So I'm just going to say, 
anything you think people should be watching for? Anything you want people to hear? I don't. I haven't looked at the docket. I I've been busy. Like we're reorganizing the house, and I started that thing called working out. Um, so it's been controlling a lot of my energy. But um, you know, let's see what Bill's. I'm hoping Bill Two is going to make some progress this week. Um, let's see what comes up. I I I'm hoping for a quiet week. I am mentally drained, and I really hope I can just go. And deal with stupid day-to-day stuff this week. I, you know, let's hi- have a light episode on Friday, on Wednesday. On Wednesday, I'd let's love to. I'd love to. You. I, I, let's, I, let's meet I, back I, here I on Wednesday with our straws. <laughs> I'm out of. I'm out of eggnog. Cheers, you on that one. I have a rainbow. There we go. With that. Sarah Biggs, I want to thank you so much for joining again tonight um, and for sharing the all of the the thoughts and the things and the perspective. Um, and I want to I want to just say because both of us did respond pretty strongly to the the WEF comment. You know I'm what? Sorry. It's okay. No, no, I I did it too. I just want to say it's okay to not understand things. I don't. I personally, there's a great deal that I do not understand and I don't need to understand because I value experts. And when experts are saying, hey, you know what, this is, this is a thing, then I'll listen to that. And when experts are saying, you know what, this isn't a thing, then I'll also listen to that. And that's okay because we can't expect it to be know everything, uh, know everything about everything. And when you try to, that's when you rely on dangerous sources like experts figure skaters and ex-hockey players who are propagating things that is getting them attention. It's, it's getting them quite frankly, money. Um, it's, it's just, it's a grift. It's a grift. Grift. Um, And Deborah, again, again, Deborah, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. (laughs) Deborah's with you. She's with you. It's all good. Um, all of that being said, I want to say a big yes. thank you for everybody who turned in tonight. We had a good turnout on the Twitter spaces. Um, we had a uh, great turnout on the live streams as well. So I want to thank everybody who came out for the live stream uh, and especially for the chat as well. It's This is one of my new favorite things about this new format that we're doing is that we're being able to see much more interaction. So um, we see all of the chats from all of the places. So we get our YouTube comments here. We get our Facebook comments here. So if, uh, if you're, if you're somebody who wants to, to share some comments, you can always add them in the Twitter spaces thread, but we'd love seeing them on the, the video chat as well. If you liked anything you heard in this episode, it'll be available as a podcast by tomorrow morning, hopefully later tonight. And you can go ahead and, and, and share that with your friends because there were some funny jokes I'd like to think. And also Ziad had some great information. I want to say a big thank you to him for uh, coming out and sharing all of that as well. Finally, I want to say a big thank you to all of our Patreon sponsors. Tomorrow's the cutoff for the special surprises. We've got Christmas goodies for our Patreon sponsors that are going to be sent out tomorrow evening. So uh, if you're one of our Patreon sponsors and you haven't logged into the Patreon page in a while, I would encourage you to do so because we've got some things that we're doing to say thank you for all of your awesome support because it's through the support that we get through our Patreon pages that we've been able to scale up things the way that we have. And we just intend to keep going. So thank you to everybody there. If you want to be one of the Patreon sponsors for the show, you can sign up to do that at www.breakdown.com 
www.patreon.com slash the breakdown ab um and uh, any support there would be would be absolutely delightful um that's it for tonight we will see you on wednesday and um yeah that's really it in the meantime be kind to each other uh take care of yourselves and keep the conversation going Thank mm-hmm. you.